Gotta love that little guy. Welcome to week five of our series, Stay Positive. This series isn't about just, you know, positive thinking or anything like that. It's, it's about how we can maintain a positive outlook um, in times when life gets hard. How many have found out that sometimes life kind of gets hard, doesn't it? Life gets tough. Um, I think we all know that, uh, especially after this past year, year and a half. Now, before we get into the message, Joe, before we start, let me ask you something. Last week, if you'll remember, I gave a 30-day challenge. Can anyone tell me what it was? For 30 days, what were we going to do? Ephesians 4.29, great. Which is what? Or what does it tell us to do? You don't have to quote it. Yeah, Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And the challenge is for 30 days to only speak words that are going to build somebody up, not that are going to knock them down, not that are going to tear them down, but just words that will build people up. So reminding us all of that, then now I have to ask, How's it going for you? You tried. You tried. You what? You had one relapse? That's all? That's great. Because this is one of the hardest things to do. I remember when the first the Lord first spoke to me about this back in 84, 5, somewhere around there is when we were living in Fort Wayne. And it, it's like, God, really? Seriously? I mean, that's too hard, but um, it's what he wants. So uh, it's not easy. If it was easy, it wouldn't be a challenge, right? So I want to encourage you to keep at it because you can do this. You, if you get a relapse once in a while, don't worry about that. Just, oh, Lord, next time, you know. And, and, but you can do this. Now, today we're going to talk about getting our passion back, our enthusiasm uh, and you see, there, there's basically two types of people in the world. First are those who let their circumstances influence their enthusiasm. Uh, in other words, it's those who let whatever is going on around them determine what's going on inside of them and their attitude, the kind of mood they're in, how they react or respond to the circumstances in their lives. Okay, that's the first kind of person. The second kind of person, those who use their enthusiasm to influence their circumstances. This kind of flips the script. These are people that can walk into a room that's filled with tension, bring about calm. They walk into a room and peace comes with them. Uh, people who, when you're having a really bad day and you run into them, you run across their path, after talking to them, you just seems like the rest of your day goes better. Um, I want to read a text that I got this week having to do with, with uh, well, the challenge that we just had. Uh, if I can find it here. Um, Kenny and Laura, you know, were, um, let me look it up here. 
were affected by the flood. Their, uh, one of their cars was out of commission, so they had to go in and get a rental car. And, uh, okay, so we went in to get a rental car, had a, a, a you know, certain thing in mind in that. And anyway, this is what he texted. Uh, he said, he was thinking about the challenge, you know, when uh, uh, yesterday or the day before he texted me this. He said, the lady that helped me at the rental car place, the lady that helped me told me that I was the first person that was nice to her because everybody had been so mean due to the fact that they had so little rental cars available. They gave us a passenger van because that was the only thing available. She kept apologizing, and I told her, no problem, it's not, you know, it's not your fault. Uh, and the reaction, he says, her reaction was like I gave her a sack full of cash or something, <laughs> you know. Um, just a little thing to say, you know, when things happen to us, we don't have to turn into a person that we wouldn't want to be, okay? We can continue to control our attitude and be in control of, of the things we say, say things to build people up, to encourage people. Think of what a difference that made in that rental lady's lo- you know, life. Um, I've been in, in, in retail before where you, know, you get customers that just, when they're not happy, they're not happy, and um, they can be downright nasty at times, right? Well, when you are the receiving end of that time after time all day long and then someone else comes in and actually is nice to you, that changes their whole day. It's, it changes their whole day. So these people who use their enthusiasm or their passion, whatever, to influence their circumstances, and that's what, what, what Kenny did here, is he influenced the circumstances uh, his and that, you know, he could have gone out grumbling and, and mad and that, but no. He influenced how he felt. He influenced how she felt. Um, these are people that are walking in the truth of their identity in Christ and with an accurate image of who God is. They're secure in who they are and in who God is and their relationship with him. They're, they're facing life enthusiastically. Now, let me start by what we mean when we speak of enthusiasm. Because I said, this isn't just a, you know, think positive message. It, is, uh, uh, it, it goes deeper than that. You know, sometimes we use the word enthusiasm to speak of excitement or thrill or, you know, just positive energy. But while those things are often the result of enthusiasm, the real thing actually goes much deeper than that. The word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, en and theos. En means in, theos means God. So when we we talk about enthusiasm here, we're talking about, you know, it it means in God. We're filled with God. That's what we're talking about. True enthusiasm is not something you can work up yourself. It's different than a pep talk that, you know, you give yourself before a big game. The enthusiasm I'm talking about has to do with a posture of the heart. And it comes from the presence and the power of God in your life. Not from anything that's going on around us. Paul talks about enthusiasm uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, where he's talking about the sin and death that surrounds us. And he says that, 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 that sin is a sting uh, that results in death. And then he says, starting in verse 57, But thank God 
He gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless or ever in vain. Because of the victory we have in Christ's resurrection, we can be strong, immovable, steadfast, and he says, work always work enthusiastically. Now, some translations say, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. In other words, pour yourself into your work for the Lord, not holding anything back. Give it your all. In, 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 in football, people talk about leaving it all on the field. You know, leave it all on the field. Give it everything you've got. Give it your best. And as Christians, as believers, that's how we're to approach our work for God. The work that you do for the Lord deserves your best effort. But here's something we need to understand. Here's a key. What we do for the Lord we must also do in the Lord. What we do for Him, we must do in Him. When we start doing God's work on our own strength, that's when burnout starts to come in. That's when we begin to lose our passion, our enthusiasm begins to just ebb away, fade away, because we're doing it in our own strength, which I've found out runs out really quickly. A couple of weeks ago, Jeff spoke about the fact that God had laid out good works for all of us to do. And, you know, he's talking about Ephesians 2.10 and that verse and, you know, that God created us with good works in mind. And as we do these works and we give him our best effort in doing them, we can be assured that as we do that, that nothing we do for him is in vain. But we got to remember what we do for him, we must do in him. And whatever we do in him, we are doing for him. We may be doing some great thing, or it may be some small act. Whether it's great or small doesn't really matter. What matters is why we're doing it. What matters is that we're doing it for him. That's because it's not what you do that makes it meaningful. It's who you do it for. It's not what you do, it's who you do it for. That's what makes a difference. I mean, sometimes we can attempt to do great things, and we can even succeed in times. We can build a successful business or, or make a breakthrough discovery or accomplish a superhuman feat of, of strength or skill, whatever it is. But the question is, who are we doing it for? That's the question. Are we doing it for ourselves? Are we doing it so that we feel important? Are we doing it so that people will praise us and compliment us and tell us how great we are are we doing it for the affirmation and so that we feel good about ourselves see doing something great is not what matters a lot of people do great things wouldn't you agree a lot of people have done great things i mean we we erect statues to them we build monuments in their honor but someday those statues will fall and someday those monuments are going to crumble. <clears throat> what matters is doing something for God. Whether small or great, we do it for Him, 
we do it in him, it has eternal value that will last. What's done for God is going to last for eternity. We're going to look this morning at a well-known story in 1 Samuel. It's about David and a certain Philistine. I think you probably know him as Goliath. Goliath was challenging the armies of Israel, sending out to send out their best warrior to fight him. The armies lined up here and the armies lined up there facing each other. And the way they would do, they would each send out a champion. We'll send out our best guy and you'll send out you, your best guy. Let those two fight it out and whoever wins decides the outcome of the battle. And, and who's the victor? Well, he's out there challenging the armies of Israel, you know, to send out your best warrior, come and fight me. But, and you've got to understand, Goliath was huge. I mean, huge. Bigger than NBA huge. I mean, he was, and he was built. I mean, he, was, he stood over nine feet tall. He had bulging, rippling muscles. And, and he was an experienced fighter, an experienced warrior. David was a young man, probably about 15 years old at this time, most uh, scholars believe. And he comes out, when, when Goliath sees David come out in response to his taunts, you know, send me your best, send me your strongest, you know, and I'll just make mincemeat of him. And, and, and you know, here comes this 15-year-old kid out. Now, at 15, I know sometimes we think we can take on the world, but when you're facing somebody like that, No. Uh, but but he, he comes out and Goliath is enraged and he starts to curse at David. And this is where we pick up in verse 45 with David's response. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. David wasn't the least bit intimidated by Goliath. Didn't matter how big Goliath was. Didn't matter how, how big he was because David knew how big his God was. And David approached Goliath with confidence, not in himself, but in God and with a passion for God. He approached Goliath with an enthusiasm that was a product of time spent with God. En theos with God or in God. Let me give you three thoughts about where David's enthusiasm came from. Three things David did. He trusted in God daily. He walked with God daily. And he worshiped God daily. First, he trusted in God daily. Now, first off, do you know recognize any kind of uh, uh, key word in those three things? Daily, yeah, daily. All those things daily. They were, a, they were habit. They were his regular practice. They weren't just hit and miss. So first he trusted God daily. It was in the little everyday things in David's life 
that built in him the ability to trust God when it came time for the big challenge. If we want to trust God when the big challenges come in life, then we must first to learn, learn to trust him in the small challenges, the ones we face every day. These are the ones that we tend to think really don't matter, the little things. You know, we think, oh, this isn't a big thing. This is just a little thing. But it's those things that make all the differences. Uh, 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 the reality is they matter more than we know because the one builds upon the another and the another builds upon the next and the next one builds on that. And every time we trust God in a small thing, it's like we're making a deposit in a bank. And over a history of small daily deposits, all of a sudden our accounts grow, our resources grow, and they begin to build on each other. And then when the big challenge comes, we've got something to draw from, a history with God that we can draw from. Second, he walked with God daily. His daily walk with God, that gave, that's what gave him the confidence to go up against such an experienced warrior like Goliath. And consistency is the key here. It's, it, this is built over time. We're talking about a lifestyle here. There was, there, there was a, life, a lifestyle of, of, of trusting God, a lifestyle of worshiping God, a lifestyle of walking with God daily. It's a lifestyle of worship that he cultivated day after day in the fields while he was watching the sheep. Where da- that's where David developed an intimacy with God that would later give him the assurance that God was with him when he faced Goliath. See, he didn't go out. He tried on Saul's armor when he went out. You know, Saul said, okay, well, if you're going to do it, you know, none of the others would do it. You know, so if you're, if, if you're all we got, you might as well just put on my armor and give you some protection. He tried it. He couldn't walk around. It didn't fit him well. He couldn't, he, you know, he wasn't used to it. So he went out there and what? He went out there in the name of the Lord, and he took five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in a sling. And a sling, it wasn't a slingshot like that. It was a, a, a cloth with a little place on the end. You could put a stone and, and you know, swing it around and then, and then let go of one end just at the right time and send that thing sailing through the air. And David was skilled with that. So he went out there against all, the, you know, this, this giant Goliath and, and his huge weapons and, and, you know, Bible tells us how much his spear weighed and all of this stuff. And he had an armor bearer that was holding his shield from him. He, David had five rocks, five rocks in his, his sling. He knew how to use them, but still, let's face it, five rocks against something like Goliath had. So, but... It was, where was I? It was the intimacy that God would later give him, or, or that, that God would, uh, uh, I'm mixed up. My mind does this once in a while. I, I don't know. I know, think I know why, but we won't go into that. It was a lifestyle of worship that he cultivated day after day in the fields watching the sheep. Um, I mean, let's face it, there was no way that this 15-year-old kid should have been able to defeat a much larger and more skilled fighter like Goliath. But there was also no way that anyone, no matter how large, no matter how opposing, 
was going to intimidate and defeat a young man who knew, because of his history, knew that God was with him on that day because he walked with him every day. And then the third thing, he worshiped God daily. I have found through experience and through talking with others and through my study that the stronger and more consistent our worship life, the stronger and more consistent our worship life is, the greater our enthusiasm and passion for God and the things of God will be. When our worship life starts waning, often so does our passion for God and our enthusiasm for the things of God. David was a man after God's own heart. The Bible describes him as that. It says David was a man after God's own heart. But what does that mean? It doesn't mean he was perfect, but it does mean he was passionate for God came across something that Chuck Swindoll says uh, about what it means to be a, pa- a person after God's own, own heart. And I want to read that this morning. It means your life's in harmony with the Lord. What's important to Him is important to you. What burdens Him burdens you. When He says, go to the right, you go to the right. When He says, stop that in your life, you stop it. When He says, this is wrong and I want you to change, you come to terms with it because you have a heart for God. That's bottom line Christianity. When you are a man or a woman after God's, when you are a man or a woman after God's heart, you are deeply sensitive to spiritual things. Second Chronicles 16.9 explains it this way, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Completely his. It's in the daily routines, the daily choices, the daily habits that build our enthusiasm for God, that feed our passion for God. It's when those daily routines and choices and habits are shaped by the Holy Spirit's leading that our passion for God stays fresh and our enthusiasm propels us continually forward in service to Him. David had two seasons in his life. In the first season, he served God with passion. He went after the things of God with enthusiasm. He was all in. This is a season while watching his father's sheep, watching the flocks, he, he defeated, he killed a lion and a bear who came after the flocks. This is the season where he went and he faced down Goliath and and was victorious over him. Nothing could get in his way. Nothing could stop him. Years later, David had another season in his life. This is a season season where his passion was replaced with apathy. And this season came to a head when instead of being out leading his army as he should have been. He sent Joab, said, you lead the army, I'm just going to stay home. I don't feel like going out. You go lead the army into battle and place that it was David's place to do. Sent Joab out. 
didn't feel like doing what he was supposed to be doing, so instead he just stayed home. And then late one afternoon, he took a stroll on a rooftop, uh, a rooftop of the palace, and as he's walking around that rooftop, he saw another man's wife bathing, and she was beautiful. So he sent for her, and he slept with her. Finds out a little while later that she got pregnant from that. And that led to his having to kill her husband so that he could quickly marry her and try to cover over and hide his sin. Two very different seasons in David's life. As a young man with enthusiasm, he ran into the battle to serve his God. Later as a king with apathy, he walked on the roof to serve his comfort. How did this happen? How did David get to this place? He took his eyes off his calling and put them on his comfort. He took his eyes off of what he was supposed to be doing and put them on what he felt like doing. You ever done that? I think most of us, if we'd be honest, we'd say, yeah, we've, we've done that a time, you know, time or two. We've done that before. I mean, let's face it. There's always a temptation to do what's comfortable, right? Always. So the question I want us to consider this morning is, what season are you in? Are you in one of these seasons? And which one? Are you pursuing your calling in Christ with enthusiasm and with passion. And it doesn't mean that, you know, when I say calling, it doesn't mean uh, 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 a, a, a spiritual calling. It means what, what God has put you here to do. Are you doing it in, in, in Him? Are you doing it for Him and in Him? And are you pursuing that with, with enthusiasm, with passion? Or is your enthusiasm cooled and apathy taken over? I've been in those seasons. I've been in that season where, where apathy just seems to kind of creep in. You know, in Revelation 2, the risen Jesus tells John to write a letter to the, to the church at Ephesus. And he starts off by, comm by commending them for all their hard work and their patient endurance. And I want to read, let's read the verses 2 and 3 here for a moment. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now, that sounds pretty good. How many would like to, you know, oh, yeah, it'd be pretty cool. You know, Jesus came to me and, or, or sent a message to me and said, I know your deeds, I know your hard work, I know your perseverance, the hardships you've endured for me. But then he says this, yet I hold this against you because I know this about you, but yet there's something else that I also know. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. The New Living Translation says it like this, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. He's saying, remember what it was like when you first came to me. 
Do you, do you remember that? Do you remember what it was like when you first came to faith in Christ? Man, I was on cloud nine. I was on cloud nine. In fact, our car was a little white, is a little white Mustang too, 75. And when we would come to church, you know, people would, would say, hey, here comes Dave and Elisa on cloud nine. You know, that's what they nickname our car. Because I was just, oh, I was just at the top of the world. He says, do you remember what it was like when you first came to me? Come back to that place. The place where you were so filled with love and so filled with joy that nothing I asked you to do was ever a burden. You were so eager to serve, so eager to do whatever I asked. And come back to that place. It's, it's, he's calling the church at Ephesus to come back to that place. If you feel like David in the second season of life and you sense you just don't have the passion that you once had, let me ask you something. What has changed? What has changed? Because God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's as good today and as awesome today and loves us as much today as the day we first said yes and felt the embrace of his arms around us. Do you know, sometimes when life happens, it can be easy to get caught up in other things and to lose that freshness, that sense of passion we once had. It's not that we don't believe anymore. It's not that we're no longer believers, we no longer love the Lord or anything like that. It's just that passion has given way to apathy. And we're just not on fire like we once were. I remember one time, this is really where I was. I was at a vineyard conference out in Anaheim. This has been years ago. And I remember that... uh, I forget whether it was during the worship time or if it was, I think it was at the after the message, and the band came up and started playing a song again, Light the Fire Again. Remember that song? Anybody familiar with that song? We haven't done it in a long time, but Light the Fire Again. I can remember, I can take you to where I stood, huge auditorium. I can take you to the exact spot that I was standing on, the exact piece of carpet where I went forward and was standing on and just sang that song, crying out to God with all my heart, light the fire again. You see, the good news is we can get our passion back. See, when David realized where he was, when he realized how far he had fallen, he repented and he called out to God for God to restore him to the place he was at before. We see this in Psalm 51 where he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If you're in a place where you don't quite have the fire you once did for the things of God, where your passion isn't, and doesn't have to be because you had you know, major sin or anything like that. Sometimes life just happens and wears us down. But if your passion isn't what it used to be, the way to get it back is simply humble yourself before him 
excuse me, call out to him. Ask him, Lord, I need a pure heart. I need a steadfast spirit. Ask him to restore the joy of your salvation. Ask him for a willing spirit to sustain you. Willing to trust in God daily. Willing to, to walk with Him daily. Willing to worship Him daily. In other words, posture your heart toward Him. Because enthusiasm and passion and for God and the things of God it isn't a product of our environment and the things around us. It's a posture of our heart. Now this morning... If you're in a place where your passion for the things of God isn't what it once was, I want to invite you to pray with me the prayer that David prayed. Just prepare your heart. And as I pray, if this is your prayer, then just agree with me and just in your heart say, yes, Lord, that's me. Lord, I ask you to come and create in me a pure heart. One that isn't tainted by the things of this world, by the things going on around me, by the difficulties in life. But a heart that's pure before you. Renew once again a steadfast spirit in me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Lord, it was so wonderful when I first came to know you, when I first came to know your love, when I first came to know your grace, when I first came to know your mercy, when I first tasted of your goodness. Restore that to me again, that joy that I had in you. Bring me back to the place where I once was. And grant me a willing spirit that will sustain me. Lord, help me to trust you every day. The big things, the little things, all of it, my whole life. Help me to trust you. I invite you and ask you to walk with me every day. I don't want to take a step without you. I don't want to spend a moment without you. Stand by my side and walk with me wherever I go. And Lord, lead me to worship you daily. Not just on Sunday mornings when we come to church. Not just when things are really going well in my life, but in the difficult times as well. Lead me to worship you daily and restore my passion for you. Renew me again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for the benediction. I love the benediction. It's a blessing. There's power in the words that we speak. And you know, if you read through the Bible, you know, read through, especially in the Old Testament, read through the blessing that a father would give 
his children and or or you know that one we give another and there there is power in that so that's why I, I love this part of the service now so prepare your heart to receive this may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope not on your own power not from your own strength not from working anything up but by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit filling you, resting on you, surrounding you. In Jesus' name, amen.